Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. Good morning, everyone. That was loud. Well, welcome. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here and look forward to getting to meet you hopefully after church today. Uh, we are in a series called How Do We Grow? And so today is part three of that series. So let's pray and then we'll jump in. And good morning to everyone watching online as well. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are king of all things. Thank you that you are the savior of sinners. Thank you that there is not a person alive who is hopeless today because of Jesus, because of you and your love for us. And I pray for anyone in this room or anyone watching, you give them hope today where they, they may not have hope. And I pray you would encourage all of us. We ask this in your name. Amen. Am I okay sound-wise? I sound really loud in my head, but I'm going to assume they're going to work on that as I'm talking trying to speak quietly. My family can tell you I have a big mouth and a big voice, and it's just hard for me to talk quietly, so I'll try. So how do we grow? I threw that out the window. How do we grow? Uh, part, part, uh, part three today. Uh, can we get the image of the tree and the acorn up there? If you come every Sunday or you're watching online every Sunday, we're, we're trying this intentionally to be really repetitious with this image, not because we think you can't get it, but we want it to be burnt in your brain. So this is a picture of an acorn and an oak tree. And the goal as Christians is that we grow. And so some of you may be starting just as that little acorn. You just put faith in Christ. You're starting to, to sprout out of the ground. But that's the vision in the background that you would grow. You'd grow deep roots in the Lord. You'd, you'd um, grow up in the Lord, and you would be a blessing to many, many, many people. So today, we're going to do part three, learning to live by faith. Learning to live by faith. But I want to do a little bit of a recap for those of you who maybe are just coming in at part three. Part one was how do we grow learning to rest in Christ. So I talked really the whole time about what Jesus has done for us and how we, we need to learn how to rest in that, to really find joy and confidence in what Christ has done for us. That means all our past sins, our present sins, our future sins are covered completely in Jesus Christ. Then last week we looked at the idea of what it means to be made spiritually alive by the Holy Spirit. And we talked a lot about realizing what that all means. That the Holy Spirit is in us if we have trusted in Christ. And I just want to say a few things about that. Some have asked questions or given me some comments in the last week about this subject. And, it, and I love it because you're, you're thinking about the subject. But here's just a few more things that the Holy Spirit does in no particular order. When we sin, the Holy Spirit convicts us and restores us 
and enables us to repent and change, to actually be different. The Holy Spirit in us is the one who gives us the power to do that. When we're discouraged, maybe you're just weary of just the, the world that we live in right now and the, the cloud of COVID that, that continues, almost hitting the year mark here. Well, the Holy Spirit in us, He encourages us. He refreshes us. He gives us strength. He gives us joy from the inside out. When we read the Bible, and you're reading it, and maybe it just kind of seems flat. Well, the Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates it, who shines light on God's Word, and it, it hits, and it connects, and we're able to apply it. That's all the work of the Holy Spirit. When it seems like you're not growing spiritually, maybe for some of you this series is discouraging because you're thinking it should be like called like going backwards in spiritual growth because that's what I feel like right now. Well, the Holy Spirit in us is the one that produces fruit. And what I've found in my own life, in the life of other Christians, is oftentimes when life is hard, when it seems like a winter season is happening spiritually because of challenges or circumstances, that is often the time where the roots are growing deeper and deeper into God's word, into God's truth, and we're actually growing, and we don't even realize it till the spring comes, till there's fruit on the tree that we didn't expect. So no matter what subject we're going to look at in this series, how do we grow, I want to underscore that the Holy Spirit is the one that's going to enable us to grow as we respond to God's word. He's the one that's strengthening us. And if you watch or you, you're, you're not aware, we do a weekly show called um, SG Connect Online um, that airs every Wednesday on our YouTube channel. And this week, I'm going to be specifically answering a church member's question about what do we do when we fall, when we stumble, when we struggle as Christians? What's the role of the Holy Spirit in that? So you can check that out, hopefully this week as well. But today's subject is learning to live by faith. How do we learn to live by faith? It is a process. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 and then verse 6. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received, received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, by God speaking, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So very vital, very at its core of Christian growth is faith, is trusting the Lord. We have to learn to live by faith. And every single one of you who is a Christian began that relationship with Jesus by faith. You trusted in what Jesus has done on the cross 
for you. That, that took faith. You had to put your confidence in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see this morning that this faith is an active thing. It's an, an active trusting. I think of the, the, maybe the best English word we have for biblical faith is trust. So when we're talking about faith, we're not talking about this sort of just mental assent to a subject or a thing, but we're talking that you are staking your life on the living God. And the entry point into your salvation was you were staking your life on a Savior that you heard about named Jesus, who you were told lived a perfect life, was fully God, fully man, died on the cross, took the punishment for your sins, and you believed it. And you trusted in it. You did what Ephesians 2 describes. For by grace you have been saved through faith, through trusting, through believing in Jesus. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this subject of faith, this active trusting in the Lord, is not a blind faith like some might say it is. It's a very informed faith. The Christian faith is very informed. We have a large book that says many, 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 many true things about the Lord, about His promises, about His ways, about His character, about His faithfulness. It's all in here. And so when we are trusting in the Lord, we're trusting in the one who has revealed himself through his word. Now it's true, we can't see him with our eyes yet. One day we will be able to, but we can know him very well through his word. And think about it this way. Think about this just in terms of friendship. So whoever you're sitting near, if you know them. You will trust them to the degree that you know them and you know their character. And so someone that you met this morning for the first time, you're not going to trust real well. You might think, you might have made a decision about them. They seem friendly. They seem kind. They even told a joke and it was kind of funny. But you're not trusting them with your nearest and dearest secrets and struggles. You're not bringing them into the details of your life. Not because there's anything bad about them, but you just don't know them well. Well, part of growing in our faith is directly connected to this book, the Bible. The more we get to know the Lord, the more we spend time with Him by reading His Word and talking to Him through prayer and spending time with His people, the more we will trust Him. Raise your hand if you wear contact lenses. Okay, so we got, we got contact wearers across the room. Um, I do not wear contacts. I do wear glasses. Uh, it's a mild prescription, so I don't wear contacts. But two of my children do wear contacts, and they have from a very young age. And I remember going to the eye doctors with them when they were very small. And one of the reasons the eye doctor wanted them to wear contacts as opposed to glasses is because they fit completely on the eyeball. And so they can't look past the glasses and have this blurry vision. They see it right through the contact. So it's an amazing invention that we have this little piece of plastic that somehow can put a very strong prescription and then fits right on our eyeballs. 
Why am I talking about that? Because this morning, I want you to have that image in your head of a contact lens. And I want you to think that, I want you to begin to learn how to think through all of life's circumstances. Your personal struggles, your personal challenges, our community challenges, our world's challenges, and see that through the lens of faith. So we, we have, let's say, we have two boxes of contacts. In the one box, it's the lens of faith. So when we look at whatever we're about to look at, we see it through God's Word. We see it through the promises of God. Then we have this other box. It's kind of this disheveled box. And it's, it's contacts, but they're all unbelief and doubt and fear. And so when you wear those and you look at those things, what they actually do is they magnify the very things that you worry about and are afraid of. And part of growing as a Christian is learning to really utilize those lenses that we can see through through God's Word. So we're going to look at four things here. First one is we must learn to trust God in anxious times. When we are anxious and worried and worked up, it's a great time to put those lenses on and learn to trust God. Now, we can be worried about big things and little things. Maybe you lose your wallet or your car keys or something important, and, and that, that creates some worry and anxiety. Um, if you're me, if you lose your wallet or your car keys, it really doesn't do anything because I lose my wallet and car keys all the time. And so that kind of stuff doesn't make me anxious. I think they're like boomerangs. They always come back eventually. Um, but if you're a very organized person, when you lose your wallet, it's a bigger deal. Uh, students, when you get a bad grade on a test, that can make you anxious. That can, that can cause something to stir up inside of you. Maybe a little more serious, if you are in relational strife with a friend and you're just not making headway, that can cause you to lose sleep and to, to make your stomach feel sick. Um, Maybe you lost your job. You're not sure how you're going to pay the bills. That can make you anxious and worried and fearful. Maybe you're just watching the news way too much and you just see all this stuff. And after you're watching it, and whether you're looking at your phone, or you're watching it on TV, you just feel worried and anxious. Or maybe you fill in the blank, whatever you, you thought about this morning when you woke up, and it's just kind of feeding this anxious, worried feeling. Well, we have to learn to trust God in those anxious times. Have you ever considered one of the reasons that you are anxious or worried is because you have legitimate reasons to be anxious or worried? There are certain things that should cause some degree of temptation to worry or fear. Now, we don't want to stay there, but it is natural. We're human, so if something happens and we respond with worry or fear, that can be a natural response. As a Christian, I have been anxious, worried, fearful many times. Many times. I can't even count how many times I've been anxious or worried or fearful. But fortunately, I would say all those times, the Holy Spirit would bring me back to His Word, bring me back to Him, and I would work through it with the Lord, and I would get friends to pray for me and encourage me. 
and the Lord helped me, just like he wants to help you. One of the go-to passages in the Bible for any time, even present day, that I am ever worried or fearful is Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read it in a moment, and I want you to think about it as if, it's, if the Bible is a worn path, like in a woods or a trail, Philippians 4, 4 through 7 is so worn in my Bible, particularly the one I read at home, that I have it underlined, starred, you know, question marks, all kinds of markings, because I have spent so much time there as I cast my cares on to the Lord. And we have preached about this passage, we have taught about this passage, we've done SG Connects about this passage, and so we're not going to dive into the, all the details, but I just want to mention one or two things about the passage. And if this isn't well-worn in your Bible, and you are often prone to worry or fear, this would be a good one to begin to get familiar with. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Start with thanking the Lord for who he is and what he's done for you. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So part of learning to, to use Scripture is learning to really work through Scripture. So I want to give you an example. Whatever circumstances on your mind today, I want you to apply those five words in this passage. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is near. God creator of heaven and earth, is at hand. He's present to help you in that circumstance. Whether it's something small, like losing something, or something massive, where you feel like maybe your, your job is on the, the brink of, of ending, or your marriage is on the brink of ending, or you're, you're not making any progress in this relational conflict that you're, you're in. The Lord is at hand. As you seek Him, He will draw near to you. And the one who is at hand tells us to go to Him. That's what it means in verse 6. But in everything by prayer. So prayer is that regular developing a relationship with the Lord where we talk to Him, where we worship Him, where we spend time with Him through His Word. And then supplication is that very specific request. The detailed list, whatever is on your mind and heart, you just ask him, Lord, would you please help me here? Lord, would you please do this? Would you please have mercy on this situation? See, these, these prayers can be prayers of deliverance and relief. Like, Lord, would you please just bring an end to this situation? Or, Lord, would you please help me to find my wallet? That's relief, like get it over with. But they can also be prayers for patience, for endurance, for peace, for joy. That in the midst of things, the Lord strengthens. In the midst of things, He gives endurance. I mean, we just heard this morning where Rodney shared about 
54 years of marriage and the Lord's faithfulness and care. That's, that's a powerful work of the Lord. And so we want to pray for those things. Lord, help me to bring you honor in this situation. Lord, help me to be patient with others, those I'm struggling with. Lord, give me joy here. One of the things I want you to do sometime this week is read the whole of Hebrews chapter 11. It's this great hall of faith of men and women just like us who many of them, endurance was really the mark. They hung in there day after day, year after year. They believed God because He said so. And they hung on. They trusted. Ask the Lord to help you. So we must learn to, to trust Him when we're anxious. Point number two, we must learn to trust God when the wind and waves howl. When things get crazy. I, if, if you live long enough, I promise you, there'll be a point in your life like, wow, didn't expect that. Wow, that got really crazy. The wind and the waves will howl. They will thrash at times. They will thrash us around at times. And I'm using that that expression as a metaphor, but we see it as an actual thing in this passage in the book of Mark. This is a real situation. Jesus is with his disciples. They're in a boat. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us cross to the other side. And leaving the crowd, he took him with them in a boat, just as he was, and other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern. Jesus was asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So the disciples had been with Jesus for some time. They're getting to know him. They're in the middle of a storm, And their first reaction is, we're going to die. This is terrible. Do you see the waves? Do you see the wind? Do you hear what's happening? And they got their tape measure out and they're watching the water rise inside of their boat. And they're thinking, we are sinking here. We're going to die. And our leader is sound asleep on the boat over here. And then they charge Jesus, don't you care that we are perishing. See, they made a number of mistakes. One of the mistakes is they were so fixated on the wind and the waves, they forgot who they were in the boat with. They're watching everything. They're listening. And they're watching the waves get bigger and bigger, and the wind blow harder and harder, and the water fill up more and more. And so they're just stuck on that. And oh yeah, by the way, Jesus says you're sleeping. Don't you care about us at all? I mean, we're the same way. Think of the bigger things in lives that you might, might worry about. We can become fixated on them. We can look at them over and over again, examine them over and over again, try to become experts in whatever that thing is. All the while, you know Jesus, the living God. And he, you have complete access to him if you're a Christian. 24-7 access. See, Jesus was not afraid of the storm at all. 
There was nothing that scared Jesus in that storm. And so it was very understandable. He was just taking a nap. He'd been doing a lot of things for a lot of people. So he was resting. And, and we know he wasn't afraid because of what happened next. Look at verse 39. So they wake him up. Get up, get up. Don't you care? He gets up. He rebukes the wind and the sea. Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. Well, only God can tell wind and waves to cease. Only the one who made the wind and the waves can tell the wind and the waves it's time to settle down. And immediately they settle down. Immediately. Because it says, and the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now the response was these fearful disciples were actually more afraid now than they were in the middle of the storm, but for a different reason. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Have you still no trust in me? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this? This is your Savior. This is Jesus. This is the one you trusted in for salvation. He has you. He is with you. He is for you. And so you can trust Him as things get a little wild at times. Nothing is happening in your life or in our town or in our community or in our region or in our state or in our country or in our world that he is not aware of, and he's not afraid of it. He's not like, oh no, I can't believe this happened yesterday. He is in complete, confident control. And he's at work. We follow a king. We follow a sovereign king, a powerful king, a mighty king. And so we can trust him. But I promise you, when you're in a difficult spot, you're going to do far better if you are reading this book and you are talking to him than if this book is closed and you're just watching and listening to the wind and the waves. Because the reality is, this is heading to our third point, sometimes the wind and the waves howl and make a lot of noise. Sometimes our entire world gets completely flipped upside down. So it's not just noise, but everything we know can get flipped upside down. We have to learn to trust God even when our world gets flipped upside down. This is point number three. And for, to help us get our minds around it, I want to use Joseph from the book of Genesis as the example of someone who got his world flipped upside down and continue to trust in the Lord. This is Genesis chapter 37 uh, through chapter 50. So if, you, if you're not familiar with the story, at a young age, Joseph begins to think the Lord is calling him and preparing him for certain things. And he's, a young, he's a, one of the youngest brothers. It's him and Benjamin are the two youngest. And his older brothers do not like him. They just don't like him. Those of you who are big brothers or sisters, you might have siblings that you love them, but you just don't like them. 
Well, this was a lot more than that. This was strong. They really didn't like him. They thought, this little punk's coming again. So one day, they're out in the field, and he comes looking, and he's wearing this coat that his dad made. It's a special coat. None of the other brothers got it, and he's all excited about it. And he had just told his brothers, in a, hey, I had a dream. One day, you're going to bow down to me. Younger siblings, don't, don't say that kind of stuff to your older brothers or sisters. They don't like it. Well, these guys really didn't like it. And so eventually what happens is first they think, well, maybe we'll kill him. But then the one brother stepped up and said, oh, let's, not, let's not do that. Let's sell him as a slave to, to these Egyptians that are, that are coming, or these people that are coming. They'll, they'll take him to Egypt. And so they, they do that. They, so, they sell him. And then they take that coat of many colors, they dip it in the animal's blood, they go back to their dad, Jacob, who becomes Israel, and they say, hey, your, your, your son's killed. We tried to intervene. They lied to their dad. Here's, here's his coat that you made for him. He's dead. Gone. Well, Joseph, eventually, God is with him. And Joseph was a fear of God. He was a believer in God, a truster in God. So he, he ends up in Egypt. He's in this man's house named Potiphar. And he's doing well. The Lord's favor is upon him. But Potiphar's wife tries to get him into trouble with her. And he resists the trouble. And his reward for resisting the trouble is he is falsely accused of a crime he did not commit. And so off to jail, Joseph goes in a foreign land. Joseph is in jail for quite some time, and there's two guys that, that, that end, end up in jail with him. And they have a dream, and Joseph interprets the dream. And he just says, hey, when this, this dream comes true, just remember me. Tell, tell the people that can get me out of jail that this happened. Well, he interprets the dream. The dream turns out to be true. One guy dies. One guy's restored to his position. Um, but they totally forget Joseph. So he's been sold in Egypt by his brothers, deserted by his family, left. He's been accused of a crime he did not commit, and he's serving time for it. He tried to help somebody. and actually did help them, and they forgot about him. Well, eventually, Pharaoh has a dream, and the guy who had been helped in jail by Joseph says, hey, remember, I remember, this is this guy that can interpret dreams. And they call him in, they shave him, they clean him up. He was very unkept. And he comes and he interprets Pharaoh's dream. And he tells him there's going to be a famine in the land. And here's what's going to happen. Well, Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph, that he eventually becomes second in command in all of Egypt, the entire nation. And this famine happens. They prepared for seven years with food. They stored up, and then seven years of famine. So people are starting to come from all over the world. Well, eventually, word gets out to Joseph's family, his brothers and his dad, hey, there's food in Egypt. They somehow prepared. And eventually, his brothers come. And eventually, Joseph shows them who he is. And he, he gets to reunite with his brothers. He gets to reunite with his father, Jacob. But then Jacob dies, and now his brothers are worried and fearful. Now, I'm telling you this whole story in a few minutes that was years in the making. And you think of any of those one things, they can cause us to struggle. If you've been abandoned by family members, that can cause you to struggle. 
If you've been wrongly accused of something, that can cause you to struggle. If you've been forgotten for long periods of time, that can cause you to struggle. All those things were operating in Joseph's life, which is why Genesis 50 is so powerful. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said this, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So in other words, well, he seems like he's kind. He seems like he's forgiving. But man, when dad dies, the true Joseph may come out. So they sent a message to Joseph, another lie, saying, Your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Remember, we know the same God. Don't hurt us. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoken kindly to them. That's powerful. Well, the only explanation for Joseph to respond that way is he had an active trust in a living God. That for years in Egypt, forgotten and deserted, he continued to cultivate that relationship with God. When temptation came, he feared and trusted in the Lord. When opportunities to serve came, he took those to try to help other people. But the point is, he had such an active relationship and trust with the Lord that when his world got flipped upside down and real wrong and evil was done to him, it didn't throw him off completely. Did it hurt? I'm sure. Did it cause sleepless nights? I I would imagine at times. But did he know that God was going to be faithful? He really knew that and really believed that. Now my hope and prayer is that your world doesn't get flipped upside down. But chances are to some degree it may. And the best thing to do is to prepare now when your world is not flipped upside down. Well, how do you prepare? You prepare by really getting to know the character of God that transcends maybe the temporal blessings that we enjoy, the friendship, the provision from the Lord, the gifts that, that he gives us um, with great generosity. We, but we, we go beyond that and we see the giver of those things and we really get to know him. We really get to know him from every page of scripture, not just The Gospels are not just Paul's letters, but the whole counsel of God. We see his workings. We see his ways. We see how he's at work, like in Joseph's life, even when it doesn't seem like he is. See, in that wild story, God preserved the Israelites from starvation. Well, no one could have known that God was going to use his brother's sin that way. So you want to prepare by getting to know the Lord. Another way you can prepare is spend time with Christians who have walked through difficult things. Get to know them. We have 
a church with many people that walk through difficult things. Spend time with them. How did you make it? What, what about the Lord helped you and sustained you? Talk to one another so that you're prepared if and when our worlds get flipped upside down, you don't lose your focus on the Lord. You don't lose your trust on the Lord. Final one. We must learn to trust God for the future. We must learn to trust God for the future. So, no matter who you are, you probably at times think about the future. Some of us think about the future maybe more than others. Those who are planners, I tend to be a planner. My mind always goes forward. Rarely goes backwards. And that, that can be a helpful thing. That can create some temptations to play out scenarios. Well, what If this happens, then this happens. If this happens, then this happens. But if this doesn't happen, then this won't happen. And Mary can tell you that, that hasn't always helped me or her as I'm doing those scenarios. See, we need to learn to wear those lenses of faith as we look towards the future. Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. With all your heart, your mind, and your soul. Do not lean on your own understanding. Another way the Bible addresses that is, don't be wise in your own eyes. There are some things you just can't figure out. The Lord has to. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your, straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So as you are thinking about the future right now, are you doing it with the lens of faith that God's really going to work in ways I, I, maybe I can't even imagine? Or are you doing it with the lens of fear and unbelief? And doubt. And sort of like if Eeyore had contacts, you're wearing his. And so everywhere you look, it's just like, ugh, you know, it's going to be gloomy. It's going to be the worst case scenario. It's going to be terrible. Uh, they're saying it's going to be bad. It's actually going to be worse because I'm Eeyore. I know these things. Um, Jesus said, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We know this. We can't do anything about tomorrow. We don't even know if there will be a tomorrow. Now, if you're, I don't, I don't say that to, to cause fear. I, I think there will be a tomorrow. But one day the Lord's going to come back. Hallelujah. And that will be a beautiful, beautiful day. And we just don't know when that's going to be. But we don't want to think about the future and exclude God from the equation. If you're a Christian, you made it this far because Jesus is your shepherd, because the Holy Spirit's in you, because he has been faithful. That same faithful God who's in proving himself faithful again and again in the Bible has proved himself faithful again and again in your life is the same God who will be faithful in the future. I mean, maybe some of you have a case of the what-ifs and you just play these scenarios over. So it can be in any situation. What if, what if my kid, my child, my baby never learns to talk? What if my baby never sleeps? Our youngest didn't 
really sleep through the night till he was three. <laughs> he still has a lot of energy. So that's a what if. What if I will never sleep again in my life? A solid night of sleep. That's a, that's a what if. And that seemed real for a number of years. What if I won't have enough money to pay the bills? What if I'll never have a true friend in this world? What if our country just goes totally down the tubes? Well, oftentimes when we ask those what ifs, we're doing it with those lenses of doubt and unbelief. The Lord is not in those equations. I mean, think of the story of Joseph. No one was thinking, what if God is going to save a nation through brothers selling their brother, their little brother, to slavery? What if, what if God actually has a master plan? Nobody thought that. So here's what I want you to do. If you're a what-ifer, if this is where, how you live, I want you to put those lenses on of faith. So, so think of it this way. What if God brings a genuine revival to our nation again? What if that happens? What if all the chaos of the last few years is God plowing the hearts of men and women and genuine revival breaks out like it has at other periods of our history? What if that's what the Lord is doing? What if God suddenly saves your adult son or daughter that you have prayed for for years? What if he just suddenly turns the lights on? What if God gives you joyful endurance for the very trial you've been in for a long time? What if all of a sudden there's a newfound confidence in Him and a hope in Him and a longing for heaven and a longing for his return that gives you faith? What if God does begin to change you from the inside out? What if you learn to be different as a husband or a wife? What if God is at work all over this county, drawing people to himself? See, same question, different lens. Now you might be thinking, well, That'd be nice, but you know that's not how it goes. You know that's not what the Lord's like. Oh, he might have been like that a long time ago. He's just not like that anymore. He doesn't do that anymore. Are you missing the things that are happening in our world? Not missing them at all, but boy, does it seem ripe for Jesus to come in. The very Jesus who said the Lord saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. He moved right into them. So the messier gets, picture like Jesus coming in full bore, and he just starts cleaning house and bringing salvation and bringing joy and bringing hope that can't be found in anyone or anything else other than him. And I think I have a strong biblical reason to have what-ifs of faith rather than unbelief. Listen to this verse from Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Now to him who is able to, so you can ask these great things and he can do more than you can ask or even think up. According to the power at work within us. 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you're a Christian, Jesus took care of your greatest need when he saved you. If you're not a Christian, your greatest need is to be made right with God. And that comes through faith and repentance and trusting in Jesus Christ. But if you are in Christ, I think at times we forget how powerful Jesus is, how mighty he is, how loving he is, how kind he is, how faithful he is. And so we can really trust in him. The band could come up. We're going to do a closing song, and I, and I want to prepare you for this song. This song is a song that Mark Altrogi wrote a number of years ago, and it is a powerful song if you think about the words. So as we sing this final song, I want you to, to just do business with the Lord. If you need to ask his forgiveness for things, do it. If you need to, to reaffirm your faith in him, do it. And I believe the Lord is going to encourage you and build you up. And then at the end of singing, um, when we dismiss, we're going to have a prayer team up here. We'd love to pray for you. So let's stand and pray. Then we're going to sing. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would search our hearts and build our faith as we sing this final song. I pray we would be encouraged. I pray that the lyrics would really help us, help us to trust you, help us to see where we got off course. And I pray you would help us going forward to have a faith that is it's not fixated on the things that we can see, but it's fixated on the unseen God who has saved us, who loves us, and who has given us his word. Lord, we love you, and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.